0: When God is moving on everyone's heart, there's a million things to do because everyone has a different area of passion. And the key is, is that the work that God wants to do in your life and through your life, it begins with what grieves you. And Nehemiah, his heart is broken because he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem. And that's the first step. And I wanna ask you, what is breaking God's heart that is also breaking your heart right now?
1: There's a lot to be disheartened over in this world. Poverty, racial injustice, war, to name a few. When someone or something hurts the people God loves and created, it hurts him too. God's inviting you to be part of healing the pain, even if it's in a small way. Pastor Daniel shares today that if you're seeking the Lord and his purpose for you, he will open your heart to what's breaking his and how you can uniquely participate in it. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 1 as he begins his message. God's man with God's plan. Jesus
0: so unfortunately, I remember this moment like it was today, actually. You know those moments that you have when you, you just woke up and you're going down into your kitchen and you notice something that looks like it's not supposed to be there? Yeah, I'll never forget as I was standing, you know, in our kitchen, and, and I remember looking down and seeing the little hardwood floor area there, and it looked like there was something wrong with it. Something was a little bit messed up. And I remember looking at it and being like, I don't think that's ever looked like that before. But I hadn't had any coffee yet, so I figured, you know what I mean, it's just like the lack of caffeine, and you all know what I'm talking about, you know? And so, so I just kind of just ignored it. But you know when something catches your eye, you start looking at it often, right? So I remember just, you know, later in the day, I'd go down and look at that little spot on the floor. And I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. But I get my eye on it day after day, week after week, month after month, and I'll never forget. All of a sudden, one day, I go down there, and I step on it, and it feels wet.
1: <laughs>
0: Everyone just goes, oh, no. You know, so I'm like, oh, this is a problem. And so sure enough, I, you know, I called up a friend of mine who is, who, you know, who does you know, building, and I said, hey, I got this situation. You come check it out. And sure enough, he comes to check it out. And he's like, oh, Daniel. The area that I was looking at was right in front of our dishwasher. Oh, yeah. The audible gasps. It's like, you know, it's bad. You know, and so sure enough, what we ended up finding out is that, you know, our dishwasher had a little slow leak. And it was not coming out the front of the dishwasher, because I guess they're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to be, just so y'all know, I didn't know this at the time that when they put in the dishwasher, they're supposed to put this little dwan pan, it's like a drainage pan. Nobody told us that, didn't know that. And it was finding its way down the back of the kitchen into the crawl space. And we knew right then, oh, here we go. You know, and so you have to get homeowners insurance involved, they pull it all up, we have mold in the crawl space. Likely story. And and it began a process of literally having our kitchen ripped out. And then, you know, it's like, once you rip it out, you got to put it back in, but do you put it back in the same way? And then, of course, the designers and all of us get involved. I never really know if I like that color. Maybe we do a different color. And, and then before you know it, like a year of your life goes by. And the amount of work it takes to do a rebuild is huge. It's a huge job. And like, I remember for like you know, we have three kids. And so like, we have no dishwasher. You know, we have a slop sink in the garage, and so we're, like, literally, like, hand-washing dishes in the slop sink in the garage. We have a refrigerator in the dining room, you know. And it was bad because even our our, our home insurance adjuster was like, well, you know, we will pay for meals because you lost your kitchen. I'm like, this is a bad idea, you know. It's like, you know, an eight-month diet of Taco Bell when you're in your 40s is not smart, people, you know. (laughs) I know. It's Sure enough, though, as I thought about this, it's like, you know, the idea of getting a new kitchen was great, but the rebuilding process was hard. It was uh, frustrating. There was issues, and even though our, you know, the people who we work with are extraordinary, just love these folks, and they're like, we're in our house for a long time getting this stuff done, it's a journey. And I bring that up because here in this year at Crossroads, we're calling this a year of restoration, where God wants to meet us right where we are, and he wants to teach us how do we Grow and how how do we become better than we've ever been? But one of the things we love about the Crossroads family is that we're committed just to being real about this all. Like, we want to be honest about it. Because I think what goes on is sometimes when you want to talk with someone about Jesus changing their life, sometimes the church can come off a little dishonest. Like, man, just give your life to Jesus, and everything's going to be great. And I'm going to tell you, if you give your life to Jesus, everything is great, but it doesn't mean that it's all easy. I wish someone would have told me. I mean, I get why they did. It's like when people are getting married. Nobody ever says, listen, marriage is hard, you know? They're like, oh, we're in love. Like, oh, you're going to be so blessed when you get married. And everyone who's been married for a while is like, man, marriage is hard, right? But it's a good heart. And in the same way, it's like when Jesus wants to do a work of restoring your soul, that's hard work. But what's amazing is Jesus isn't only interested in restoring our souls. Once he restores an individual soul, it's in the process that he wants to restore a family or or a sphere of influence. And then once he restores a sphere of influence, he wants to restore a community. Then once God restores a community, he wants to restore the whole globe, right? And so you realize that this journey of restoration is not easy. And so today we're going to begin a brand new series through a phenomenal book that I've been wanting to teach here at Crossroads for a while, the book of Nehemiah. As we watch God do this work of restoration in the lives of the children of Israel at a very important time in their life. And really what we're going to find is that, you know, Nehemiah is God's man with God's plan. For that moment. So if you could, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. We're gonna start in Nehemiah chapter one. If you brought your own Bible with you, the book of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, which speaks of everything before the life of Jesus. It sits between the book of Ezra and Esther, kind of after your first and second kings, first and second chronicles. So if you find those books, go to your right. If you find Job, Psalms, all the minor prophets, you go to your left. But Nehemiah comes on the scene at a very important moment in the life of the children of Israel. Because if you remember, the children of Israel had been exiled off their land. You remember the prophet Jeremiah? For 70 years they were in Babylon, right? And then while they were in Babylon, the Babylonians were conquered by the what we call the Medo-Persian Empire. It was an alliance of the Persians, which is modern-day Iran, and the Medes, right? And then they had a series of kings, and then it was in the midst of that that they started to go back to Jerusalem. they have been exiled off, often. And they start coming back. And there's been a number of waves. If you were to read the book of Ezra, you have the first wave or group going back from exile in 538 BC with, under the leadership of a man named uh, Zerubbabel. You can read about that in Ezra chapter 1 and 2. The first going back. And, and it's in that first group that they actually succeed in rebuilding what we commonly called Solomon's temple. It wasn't rebuilt to the same specifications, but it was rebuilt, and that happened in about 515 BC, before Jesus. And then the second wave comes with Ezra, who is the person whose name is on the book of Ezra, and that happened in about 458 BC. So the second wave is with this man Ezra, and Ezra's teaching really helped the children of Israel to have almost like a restoration of their souls. His teaching was strong right? And he was teaching them the word of God. And they were moving, God was moving their hearts because of the teaching of the word of God. And then what we're going to start seeing today, about 14 years after the return of Ezra, then God starts to use Nehemiah. And it's about 444 BC is when Nehemiah comes on back. And really what we're going to see is that Nehemiah's goal is to rebuild the safety of the children of Israel. The walls had been broken down. They were vulnerable. And God uses Nehemiah first to rebuild the walls and then to rebuild the people. And really what we're going to see as we move through this book over the coming messages is the rebuilding process and the restoration process is hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not necessary and important. And just the way, like if right now, if you're working your way out of a hole, whether it's an addiction or whether it's a financial struggle or there's a marital problem or there's this or that, listen... The work needs to get done. But it's not always easy, but God is with you in the process. And that changes it for all of us. So what's powerful here is we learn something about the restoration process. If all of us are going to find ourselves involved in the work of restoration that God wants to do, we all need to start with what breaks your heart. You need to start with what breaks your heart. Heart. Now, the reason I say that is because you find immediately that Nehemiah, whose name means the comfort of Yahweh or Yahweh has comforted, right? He is hearing at this specific moment about the fact that Jerusalem is broken down, that the walls are broken down. And by the time you get to verse four, it says that He wept for many days. You know, and I think one of the things that we realize is that the work that God wants to do in Nehemiah's life and through his life, it's actually founded in, out of all the things Nehemiah heard on a given day, this is what broke his heart. And I think that God wants to use each one of you. And I think that God breaks each one of our hearts in different ways to move us into action. You know, I've been a pastor now for 20 years, and one of the things that I've found is that when something breaks a person's heart, they can't help but engage. How do I fix this, right? And one of the things that I've found in the life of the church is oftentimes when something breaks someone's heart, that's the only thing they can think about. It's like, this is the most important thing. And and, you know, I always like to joke that in a large church, when God is moving on everyone's heart, there's a million things to do because everyone has a different area of passion, And the key is, is that the work that God wants to do in your life and through your life, it begins with what grieves you. And Nehemiah, his heart is broken because he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem. And that's the first step. And I want to ask you, what is breaking God's heart that is also breaking your heart right now? Now, if you're like Fusco, my heart is broken with my own stuff, I don't have time to be broken up over everybody else. Here's what I want to tell you. First, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. Second, it can't all be about you. It can't be. This is the lie that our culture tells us. You be consumed with your life. It's your life. No, listen, your life is real, but God has always called us to something bigger. Always. And I realize that, and again, there are some extreme circumstances that right now, you're not supposed to be thinking about everything else. There's your own stuff that you have to get together but that shouldn't be going on forever. That's maybe for a season. But I believe like if you're looking out at the world and you're like, man, what's going on? I'm so concerned about young people. That's the first step in God wanting to engage you in joining young people on the journey of growing up. If you look at the world and you see, oh man, there's all these, there's refugee crisis. That's the area. You look at what's going on across the globe or across the street. You look at what's going on in education or politics or wherever it is. You say to yourself, what's breaking my heart? And it's not enough to just complain about it. Nowhere does it say Nehemiah's heart was broken and he complained about it. Right? What does he do? In verse four it says, and so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah realizes that in order for the work of restoration to happen, it's not just about who he is. He needs to seek God about it. He needs a heavenly perspective beyond the earthly perspectives that we have. And so Nehemiah begins with this thing that is breaking his heart and he's seeing that God wants to do a work. Now, just to give you a few details, notice it says in verse 1, and it came to pass in the month of Chislov in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel. So this is like a, a time and place stamp, you know, on your phones, right? You can take a picture and you can put the location on it. This is the biblical location services. You like that, right? It's right there. So we learn in the month of Chislev in the way that they reckon the calendar was the month of November, December, roughly for us. And it was in the 20th year of the reign of a king named Artaxerxes, which would place us in November, December of about 444 BC. He's in this place called Shushan, or some of you say Susa, which was a, the Persian winter palace, Right. And the idea of a citadel was simply just, it was a fortified palace. So this was, he was in a safe environment. And it really shows that he's working within the government. And one of his brethren comes. Now, you don't know if you know a Hanani was one of his actual biological brothers or if it was of his people. You know, it's interesting that the Bible, you know, kind of, elongates our view of family a little bit oftentimes you don't know are they biological or is all the people your brother and it really speaks to the way the children of israel saw themselves as a community as a whole as opposed to just nuclear families although they value the nuclear family they saw themselves as brothers and sisters and obviously when you get into the new testament then it gets along you know it gets enlarged again to all the people of god you guys are all brothers and sisters this is a family family reunion say what's up brother Say, what's up, sisters? Right? This is your family faith. It's an amazing thing. I know you thought, I never thought I'd have a dreadlock guy in my family. How that happened, but that's how it happens. It's the coolest thing. Right? He hears what's going on. And you see in verse two, it says, He asked concerning the Jews who had escaped and gone back and they survived. What's going on in Jerusalem? The survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are in great distress. So there's issues and there's reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now, we don't really think about this, but in that culture, when there was no protection around them, you were completely vulnerable. Anybody could come into the city, do whatever they want to do. Like, we don't even have a conception of this in the West because by and large, even as challenging as a community can be, it's still relatively safe compared to what we're talking about in farther back history a city without a wall and open gates was completely vulnerable to attack at any time, which was, it'd be like your house having no doors on it. And even in a a relatively safe community, wouldn't you feel vulnerable in that situation? Now imagine putting that into a city context, an urban context. You have a house with no doors, no protection, always open. That was the environment. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. So you gotta start with what breaks your heart. But then, once you start with what breaks your heart, we need to make sure that we bring our cares to God in prayer. Because Nehemiah is mourning, he's fasting, so he's stopping eating and he's praying. He's not just holding it in himself, but he wants to make sure God speaks on into it. Confronted by something that broke his heart, the desolation of Jerusalem, now Nehemiah starts his next phase of the restoration process, and that's literally talking to God about the problem. Can I be honest with you? This is one of the biggest mistakes we make as people. Something breaks our heart and we just run off and start doing things. Am I the only one like that? I call that being like a a shoot-ready-aim kind of person. You know, know, if if you're shooting a sidearm, first you get ready, then you aim, and then you shoot, right? And we know that that's just great gun safety, right? But if you're not careful, you can live your life where you just start doing things. You're shooting before you even say, God, What's your heart in this? What is it that you want? And what I love so much about Nehemiah is Nehemiah isn't just keeping the grief and the sadness to himself, but he's including God into this. And he's praying to God and he's bringing his cares to the Lord. And what's beautiful is that Nehemiah does a number of different things. First, he begins with who God is. Right? Notice what it says, Lord God, verse 5 of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. See, he begins with praising God because God is God. And I want to encourage you, when you're praying, take a moment to acknowledge God's character, God's personality. Nehemiah realizes that all that's going to go on, he needs God the God who keeps this covenant, the God who is great and awesome, the God who is merciful. He needs God to work. And of course, this reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, where it says, "Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. In the work of restoration, we need the God who there's nothing too hard for. When something feels beyond what you can do, always realize you believe in the God of the all possible, the God who sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. God has a plan, and God will do a work. See, it begins with who God is, and then he's saying, Lord, will you hear my prayer? But know what I love about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah does not in any way expect God to hear his prayer, because he moves from the character of God to his own character, and the character of the children of Israel. And what he doesn't say is, God, of course we're gonna do something, because I am awesome. And all your people are awesome, and we've always been awesome. And even if you don't think we're awesome, we're awesome still, because we're on TikTok, you know? He doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is, and you always find this in biblical prayers, is there's a time of confession. That word confession literally means to say the same thing as. You're agreeing with God. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Although you might not want to put your flaws on your LinkedIn resume, we always should begin our conversations with God with a time of saying, God, you know that I'm not perfect. Not because God needs to hear it, but because sometimes we need to say it. We need to acknowledge to God that we can't hold God hostage. Because you know what I think happens a lot of times? We have this tendency to believe, especially when we start walking with Jesus, that because we don't do what we used to do, now God owes us. Like that we have God in our debt. I remember this happened to me. You know, I've told my story before. I was kind of a wild and crazy guy, crazy kid, you know. uh, And and I remember when I stopped partying and all this stuff, I'd go to God and be like, Lord, you know, I, I don't do all that stuff anymore. Now this is what I want. Now, I didn't say it that way, but in effect, if you were to boil down my prayers, that's what it was. Like, look how much I've grown, God. Now, I want you to bring me a wife, do this, do that. And, and it's like, no, no, even though I'm not what I used to be, I still got all sorts of issues, and that's going on to this day, right now. And same for you. Sure, you're not what you used to be, but God's not done with you yet. And so we come to the Lord and we confess, we say, Lord, we have failed. We're undeserving, but because of Jesus, I'm coming with this prayer. And I want to tell you, see, humility is a lost art in our day and age. You know, many, we're all raised in the never let them see you sweat culture. But the thing is, that that might be true in our culture, but that's not true in the kingdom of God. And so, and what I would tell you is that if you can't be humble before God, you can never be humble before people. Because God loves you unconditionally. So when you say, God, I have really screwed this. Lord, I lost my patience. Lord, I didn't lose my patience outwardly, but I did inwardly. You know, you, you go through the whole thing. If you can't do that with God, you'll never be able to humble yourself before people. You'll never be able, when someone calls you on your garbage, and gosh, I hope you have people in your life who do, you'll never say, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry I got that wrong. You say, no, I didn't. What about what you did, right? And then you go into the, the tit for tat of the, how these discussions go. And you get nowhere. So humility is born in the presence of God. And he prays and he says, Lord, forgive us, Lord. We, we have acted corruptly, Lord. We've not kept your word. Like, we've been exiled. You told us in the writings of Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, you told us that this was going to happen. And look, I'm in the citadel. I'm in the Medo-Persian Empire. We've been banished off the land.
1: Jesus is Pastor Daniel today began a new study in the book of Nehemiah, an Old Testament book that takes place in a time when many of the Israelites are living so far from home. But their home, Jerusalem, is standing unprotected, and those living in it are in danger. This has broken the heart of Nehemiah, and he wants to do something about it. But instead of immediately jumping into action, Nehemiah showed us today what to do next. Humbly seek the Lord and ask Him for help.
0: Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to
1: provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages, available on Facebook, Instagram, and
0: Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day is just might get a little brighter. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online
1: at Jesus'sRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to follow Nehemiah on this journey he's about to undertake. Nehemiah seeks the Lord for wisdom and action on God's part, but then he needs to do something too. Next time, he'll get that opportunity. So what does Nehemiah do when the opportunity arises? He says a prayer and steps forward in faith. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Honest. Until then, may God bless.